0: Hello, good morning, good morning, it's me again. Uh, hey guys, so pumped that you are here today, thank you. I know that uh, it is spring break and so a lot of the kids are out of school and you had an opportunity to be anywhere this morning and you are here in the house of God with us at the bridge and so thank you guys for being here so much. Um, I want to just take a second and brag on God, is that Okay. I don't have to give me, I'm going to do it anyway. I was just trying to be nice, but I, okay, here we go. Um, so for the past few weeks, we've been pressing in in prayer, and uh, I know many of you have been praying. We've been fasting. We did a 21-day fast, and we had a prayer wall that was right up here, and we wrote names of people who we were hoping to see saved and things we were hoping to see God do. Uh during this Easter season, and I want to tell you some exciting news, and that is last Sunday on Easter, we saw the largest attendance that the Bridge Mount Olive has ever had. Come on, can we give it up for Jesus? (laughs) Largest attended service, bigger than launch day, bigger than any other one, and so we thank God for that. And better than that, way better than that, we saw, and get ready to clap again because we're going to celebrate, we saw six people give their heart to Jesus last week. Now I know some of you guys are golf clapping out there, and it's because it's not your person. If it were your son or your nephew, you would be over the moon excited, and so anyway, we're just praying. I know for some of you, your person didn't come. For some of you, the person you invited or the person you were praying for. And so we're still praying. We haven't given up. We're going to persevere in prayer. And we're believing that, uh, that their time is coming and their day. And so I also want to share one last piece of good news with you. And then we're going to clap one more time. And then i am leave you all alone, okay? Y'all can just listen to me for a while. Y'all know we're a part of something bigger. We're one church with three different locations. At all of our locations, we saw 55 people give their heart to Jesus. Come on, clap one more time. Yeah. Pump. That's what we do all this for. That's what it's all about, seeing people take those next steps. Valerie talked about it in the video announcement. What's your next step? Taking next steps with Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so I have contacted you. If you let us know, then I have reached out to you this week. But if you took a step for Jesus last week, if you gave your heart to Christ, or maybe you rededicated your life, you realized your door was kind of halfway open or maybe God had a foot in your door, but wasn't all the way in. Uh, I want to tell you about a resource that we have in at the guest services desk. This is completely free of charge. We just want this to be a tool in your hands. This is living in Christ and it's the gospel of John. It walks you through the gospel of John and it talks about how you start a relationship with Christ. And so if that's where you're at, make sure you grab one. Listen, if you know someone. They're not even at this church. They got saved somewhere else last week or something like that. You grab some of these books. We want to resource people. That is our heart, especially when it comes to that. We've also got some devotionals on that table. Again, all of that is free of charge. We really just want to be a blessing and put that in your hands, okay? All right. Well, today we are kicking off a brand new sermon series called Church Is church is. And we're talking about different stereotypes, different stereotypes that the church has gotten throughout the years. And unfortunately, some stereotypes that the church has sometimes earned. And uh, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is I'm going to bring up a stereotype each week. And then we're going to talk about how do we push back against that? How, How do we open scripture? What does God have to say about that? And how can we make sure that when visitors come in, that when people come to the bridge, that they don't find these things to be true here? And so that's kind of what we're doing. That's the overview. Today, I want to talk about the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. I already heard an uh on the front. Uh, uh. let's see what he's got to say about this. If you've ever invited more than about three people to church, then you've heard this. In just about every poll, every study that's ever been done as to why people aren't in church, this one typically makes the top three. All right. And it's for a reason. For for whatever reason, that's kind of the stereotype that we've gotten. And I want to be honest with you, for a lot of people the church is full of hypocrites. That's just an excuse. That's just something they say. They really don't want to come anyway. They want to watch football. Don't mess with my football on Sundays. Don't mess with my golf. I just want, please leave me alone. And so they'll say things like that. And it really is just an excuse. And so that's why you hear preacher jokes like this one. I bet you've heard this one before. Oh, you think the church is full of hypocrites? Well, that's okay. Come on. There's always room for one more. <laughs> and you hear that, and church people laugh. And... But I want to veer away from that today. I, I don't want to use that methodology because for some people, when they say that the church is full of hypocrites, it's a genuine concern. For, for some, unfortunately, they've been hurt in church. And I hate that. And that is never our intention. And we never, ever, ever in a million years want to do that here. But unfortunately for some of you, and maybe even here, I don't know. But for some people, they've been hurt in church. For some people, they thought a Christian would act like this and they went to church and they experienced something completely different and they have been hurt by that and they're jaded by that. And so for some people, it's not an excuse. Again, it's a genuine concern. I think Brenning Manning sums it up so well. Here's what he says. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. When we say we're going to do one thing, when the Bible teaches us to do one thing, and then in practice they find something completely different. And so let me just go ahead and admit right up front Is the church full of hypocrites? Well, I wouldn't say full. But does the church have hypocrites in it? Yeah. It's absolutely true. There are hypocrites everywhere. As a matter of fact, one of Satan's oldest strategies, one of his favorite tactics, is to find somewhere that God is moving and plant some of his followers in there with the goal of disrupting and destroying. He, he wants to mess stuff up. When things are going well, that's why we pray. That's why we're pressing in in prayer during this Easter season. Because if we don't, if we think, hey, man, things are going good, we're setting attendance records, praise God. Satan's going to come right in, and he's going to begin to have his way. And so, And so anyway, Jesus actually teaches us this. In Matthew chapter 13, 24 through 30, that Satan's goal is to disrupt and destroy. It's again, in Matthew 13, I'm gonna start reading in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable The kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Notice we have an enemy. Again, his goal is to disrupt and destroy. And so he comes and he sows some weeds and then he leaves. Verse 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At what time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The landowner understood something here about wheat. He understood that wheat has a shallow root system. And... As I look out across this crowd, I think it's so funny that I am uh, teaching you about agriculture because I see many farmers here in the audience today, and so that's just kind of funny. Here's what I'll say. In the study of Scripture, (laughs) what I've found many theologians have said is that wheat has a shallow root system. I pray to God I'm right, farmers. And so the weeds, by the time the wheat and the weeds grew up together and you could tell a difference between the two, if you were to pull the weeds out, the, the root system was so intertwined at that point with the root system of the wheat that to pull one up would be to pull both up. To, to try to extract the weeds would be to unintentionally harm the wheat. And so the only answer then is to let both grow together together. Are there some hypocrites in the church? Yeah. But there will come a day that Jesus taught in this parable on the day of harvest, on the day of harvest, there will be a separation. What what we need to know is on the day of judgment and there will be a judgment day, the wheat and the weeds will be separated. And it's at that point, you're going to want to make sure you're in the right pile. And so we want to make sure that we are living and acting as wheat, that we are not weeds, that we are not those hypocrites. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this parable in Matthew chapter 13, the wheat and the tares, that may be how it's listed in your version of scriptures, the wheat and the weeds. And I want to look at that and I want to pull out two lessons to address this concerns that the church has hypocrites in it. So we're going to jump right in. Number one, we have to recognize what a hypocrite is. We have to recognize what a hypocrite is. If I've got to separate the wheat from the weeds, I've got to recognize what a weed looks like. i got to recognize what, a, what wheat looks like. And so we, we have to know what a hypocrite is. There's a lot of ways I could tell you guys what a hypocrite is, but I'll just say I know one when I see one. And so a couple years ago, I was invited to take part in a golf tournament. It was one of those charity things, and it was... The four-man Super Bowl, every golfer hits the same shot, and then you play the best shot. And so uh, a lot of times, golfers like myself, who aren't particularly good, uh, will be able to go there, and still, it's still kind of fun to play golf. And so it was one of these deals where you have lunch before you play the round. And so we're at lunch, and there's one guy who has paid for everybody, and uh, he is introducing me as Pastor Andrew to all his friends. And so then I find it incumbent upon myself to act like I've got some sense as we play golf, because now they know what I do for a living. And so uh, at lunch, I begin to tell them, because I want to set the bar low. They need to know what they've partnered up with here. They, they don't need to expect too much. And so I begin to tell them, hey, guys, uh, I was not brought along for today's endeavor because I'm good at golf. I was brought along because we're going to have a good time. And so win or lose, we're going to laugh, okay? We're going to have some fun. And so, again, I'm just trying to set the standard. And so I finished lunch. All of us finished lunch. We got to the putting green for a little bit. The tournament's getting ready to start. But I go to the driving range, hitting a few balls. And one of the guys in my group, it's the guy who I didn't really know all that well, uh, just kind of, I knew his name, but that was about it. He takes it upon himself. He feels it necessary that he is going to be my new golf coach. And so he comes over to me and he starts telling me what, you, what you're what you messing up. Here's what you're doing. Uh, you need to pretend like your arms are a water hose and you're just going to kind of sling through the water hose. Okay, now pretend like your left leg has a rod in it and you're really going to want to be stationary there. Pretend like there's three T's and I didn't know it was possible for me to be worse at golf. <laughs> but after I got done with his lesson, I was considerably worse because now I'm thinking, well, my didn't, was that a water hose? I don't, I don't. And so I'm going through and I'm worse. But then we get out there on the golf course and he's bad too. <laughs> and what I wanted to say was, you hypocrite. But I didn't say that again. This guy, I'm Pastor Andrew. So I just politely went up to him and encouraged him. Hey man, I don't think you're doing that water hose thing. You need to really water hose it. You need to. Here's the deal. We all know a hypocrite when we see one, but it's harder to spot one in the mirror. That guy who I see in the mirror every day, it is gonna be harder for me to spot hypocrisy in him than it is in anybody else. Let me give you guys a case study. How many of you know a hypocrite? I need full participation. If you know a hypocrite, could I just see your hands? Yeah. Okay, good. How many of you are sitting next? No, no, never mind. Don't don't do that one. Don't do that one. Here's the distinction. Here's a distinction. we got to make sure we recognize what a hypocrite is. That's what we're doing. Hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we should do. It's not hypocrisy. Let me read that one more time. Hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we should do. Sometimes we think that, but that's not hypocrisy. That's sin. That's that's sin. As a matter of fact, James 4.17 tells us that. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, read that last part, it is sin for them. So that's not the disparity. Here's what hypocrisy is hypocrisy is the difference between what we show and who we are. I'm going to say that one time. That's a good place for an amen right there. Hypocrisy, well, hold on. Let me read it one more time. <laughs> hypocrisy is the difference between what we show. And who we are. It's pretending. It's acting. It's wearing a mask. It's being different in one setting and different in another. Again, it is pretending. And if you read Jesus' teachings, if you go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was tough on hypocrisy, especially the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, I won't read the whole chapter to you, although I really could. Go read it at home. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts talking about hypocrisy, and here's what he says. Hey, all you guys, all all y'all that I'm teaching, you see those religious leaders over there? Don't give, pray, or fast like they do. If you do it the way they do it, you'll be doing it wrong. Listen up. Come, come in. Here's what they do. Y'all know what they do. When they go to give, they sound a trumpet. I'm dropping my money in the offering plate. When they go to give, they sound a trumpet. When they pray, they go out to street corners and they pray out loud and people go by and they're like, well, is he talking? to?" Oh, he's praying. And when they fast, Jesus said that they would disfigure their faces. They would try to make it look like they were more malnourished and undernourished and that the fast was had been going on for longer than it had. And so Jesus says, you ought to give and you ought to pray and you ought to fast, but when you do it, do it quietly. Do it privately. When you fast, wash your face. Don't let anyone know that you're fasting. Don't let anyone know you're praying or giving because when you do that, that's what moves the heart of God. When you do it for a show, when you do it for people to see, Jesus says you have your reward. If if you wanted people to see and people saw, buddy, you've got it. That's all the reward you're getting. You are not moving the heart of God. And so he's tough on hypocrisy, especially the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Well, then he goes on in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, and here's what he says there. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, read that with me, are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Oh, it looks good on the outside. It look, You got some people fooled. It's looking good. You're good at pretending. You're good at wearing that mask. But on the inside, it's full of death and decay and odor. It, it's, it's terrible on the inside. And what's on the inside matters most. I had a professor in college. And when he was talking about hypocrisy, he gave an illustration that I'll never forget. He said, I want you to imagine that I was inviting you over to my home for dinner. And when you get the invitation, you're excited. I don't invite a whole lot of students over to my home. And you're excited, honored for the invitation. You're excited about the conversation. This is, uh, you're really looking forward to this. And then on the evening of the dinner, you get there and you come inside and you smell the food and it smells so good. And now you're really pumped because the food's going to be good. Man, I've been looking forward to this night. But right before we go to have the meal, you go to the dining room. And as you look down to your horror, the outside of the dish is clean, but the inside has not been touched. Oh, we washed them. We washed the outside. The outside of the cup, the outside of the bowl, the bottom of the plate. The outside's been washed. It's great. But as you look in the cup, you see the residue from yesterday's milk. You see the bits of croutons in the bowl from yesterday's salad. You see the the ketchup from yesterday's meatloaf on the plate. And now, this meal that you had looked so forward to, this meal that just moments ago you were excited about, now all of a sudden this meal is ruined, and you are looking for any excuse possible to quickly leave before dinner. Why? Because it's what's on the inside that matters most. It's what's on the inside that's most important. Let me get practical. A hypocrite is someone who acts one way in one setting and the opposite in another. They're play acting. They're pretending. So so they're going to act one way in one setting and the opposite in another. There's a politician. You guys may remember him. His name is Gary Hart. Anybody here know who I'm talking about, Gary Hart? Okay, several of you. Last year, I don't know anything about this movie, so forgive me if it's not a good one, but last year... There was a movie about his life and about this very thing I'm going to tell you. Uh, It was released in November. Hugh Jackman starred in it. It's called The Front Runner. Anyway, I don't know anything about the movie, but it's kind of cool how it brought it back to the surface. Here's what happened with Gary Hart. In In 1988, he was the front runner for the Democratic nomination for president. It looked like he was going to be the nominee. And then a story broke about how he was having an affair with a lady named Donna Rice. So he stands at the podium and he boldly proclaimed, That's a lie, no sir, no ma'am, that never happened. You can trust me. And so he goes on to say, absolutely not. Little time passed, and some reporters got a hold of some pictures. A couple days later, his campaign was suspended and he was never heard from again politically. This guy who could have been the president of the United States, his life was dramatically altered in one foul swoop. And the thing that I want to really show you today, the thing I want to highlight is he gave us this quote that I really think in, in his last press conference, he gave us this quote that I think has profoundly shaped are thinking in this country and here's what he said there is a difference between public morality and private morality sure i've got morals when i'm in public i'll be a boy scout i'll do the right thing i'll say the right words i'll i'll put on the mask i'll act like i'll pretend there is there's a way i'll act in public but then you, I mean, come on. Honestly, do you expect me to act that way privately? So again, what he said is there's a difference between public morality and private morality. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. No, there's not. No, no there's not. There is not a difference. That is hypocrisy. That's actually really the definition of hypocrisy to be one person in one setting and another in another. Nathaniel Hawthorne said this, No man for any considerable period can wear one face in private and another face to the public without finally getting bewildered as to which one is the true face. If I'm constantly putting on the mask and taking it off, before long, I'm going to forget how I'm supposed to act with the mask on or with the mask off. But it's not just true in Gary Hart's life, and it's not just true because Nathaniel Hawthorne said it. Jesus taught this as well. In Matthew chapter 6, that, that passage where I was telling you Jesus said, don't give or pray or fast like the religious leaders, they're, they're hypocrites. That word that he uses there for hypocrites, that's the Greek word, hypocrites. Hupocrites. It means play actor or mask wear. Whenever you try to be one thing in one setting and another, you're changing masks. Jesus was referencing Greek theater. See, the Greek theater, the actors, they would wear masks, and it was for a couple reasons. Number one, because they didn't have this thing right here. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have sound systems. And so what they would do is they would build Uh, megaphones into these projectors. They They would build it in there so that it could really cast out their voice, so that it could help them be heard. It could project their voice. The other reason why these Greek actors would wear this mask is because you could be happy in one scene and then sad in another. You could be the grandfather in one scene and then you could be the grandson in another scene. It allowed one actor to play a lot of different parts. And Jesus says, whenever we have faith for show, whenever it's all pretend and we're just doing it so people see it and we're being hypocrites, he likens that to putting on a mask and then taking it off. And eventually, there's a real you somewhere in there, and it's going to come out. But the, the cool thing is, there's a, another word in Scripture that's the exact opposite of hupokrites. It's ano-hupokrites. Ano. You add, and I know I'm getting ready to teach you guys English, so I'm going to bore you to death. Pay attention, pay attention. When you add A-N-O as a prefix, before a word in the Greek, it gives it the opposite meaning. It makes it a ne- it's a negative prefix. It's just like in English when you add un, u n before a word, able becomes unable. I need some audience participation. Interesting becomes yeah. You get the point. It's the exact opposite. It's a it's a complete flip. And so this word anohipocrates, a non mask. Where a person who is genuine. Here's the word, love must be, say that word, sincere. Sincere. Love must be Ano, hypocrites. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, because you are sincere, because you've taken off the mask, and now you are being genuine. So the second point I want to bring from this parable is pursue sincerity. Pursue sincerity. In order for me to not be a hypocrite, in order for me to push back against hypocrisy in my life, I have got to fight for sincerity. I've got to fight so that the person I am in private is the person I am always. And if I don't like what I see, then I'm working on becoming better. I'm inviting the Holy Spirit in and that work of sanctification to be made real in my life. Again, go back to Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. We read it earlier, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The landowner says, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn the thing that would happen is at first, when the wheat and the weeds would both come up, they looked almost identical. The the weeds looked so close to the wheat, it was hard to tell the difference between the two. But then as it got closer to harvest time, something would happen with that wheat. All of a sudden, on the end of that wheat, a head of grain would form. And the closer you got to harvest, the closer it came time to get that crop out of the field, that head of wheat would become weightier. It would become more mature. That wheat would begin to bow low because now all of a sudden that head of grain is on the end and it's pulling it down. And so that wheat would bow low, the weeds would still stand tall. And so on judgment day, it was much easier to tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds. was much much easier in our society the difference between the genuine believers and the hypocrites is sincerity sincerity is that head of grain that causes us to look different from the hypocrites around us sincerity is that thing that causes other people to take notice in our life so I want to ask you a couple questions Write them down. Take a picture of them. Uh, Don't answer them now. You'll answer them too quickly. I want you to interact with this this week. Here's the questions. Do I wear a mask? Do I wear a mask? Do I try to appear one way on social media or in front of people, but privately I'm someone else? Am I wearing a mask? Number two, Do I have one set of morals publicly and another set privately? It's hard. It's hard to see hypocrisy in the mirror. But the way we see it is we ask ourselves this question, these questions, and we say, hey, when I'm on the ball field and when I'm at church, do I act the same way? When, When I'm at work and when I'm at home, am I the same person? And as we begin to interact that way, as we begin to examine ourselves with these questions, the answer and the ability to be able to see hypocrisy in us becomes so much more evident. Guys, I'm telling you, the world's looking. If they know you go to church, if your coworkers, if your neighbors, if they know you go to church, if they know you're saved, they're looking at you. How do you react in the good times and the bad, in the highs and the lows? How do you act? How do you react? How do you treat those you love? They're looking, they're looking. I'll tell you for me, just a little bit about my story. When I came to this church, I was in seventh grade, grew up here, some of you, a lot of you know that, some of you may not, grew up in the church, came here in seventh grade, and i had come from more liturgical backgrounds i had come from more just non-expressive backgrounds nothing wrong with any of those but when i came to the bridge i bet for the first two months i didn't sing during worship i was just looking around whoa they're clapping all right whoa they got their hands up all right that's one of the reasons why we keep the lights low here. Because I know when you put your hands up, when you're clapping, when you're being expressive in worship, you're not doing it for show. I'm not doing it for show. Nobody's doing it. We're doing it because we are connecting with God. We're doing it because there's something real inside of us. And, and this is our story. So this is our song and we're excited. But for me, coming into that setting and being a middle schooler, it was just so different. You know what I think of? I think Lauren, or, or one of the worship leaders here, she was in the choir back then. I bet she remember. There's some redhead kid. He never sings. He's just looking around. I think he needs help. That was what. That was what did it for me. I saw people worshiping and tears streaming down their face. I saw people worshiping. They weren't doing it for show. And then I would bump into them in the hallway or I would see them in classes or I would see them in the fellowship hall and they were the same they were they loved God they were pursuing were they perfect no but it is because of that sincerity that I saw that over time I became one of those hand clappers and hand raisers and worshipers it was over time that I got saved, gave my heart to Jesus. It was a whole new experience. At 17 years old, I was called into the ministry. And really and truthfully, I believe so much of that started that first two months as I was gathering information about this church. And as I was looking to see, are these people sincere? So guys, I want to tell you, does the church have hypocrites in it? Yep. Does this church probably But don't worry don't, don't judge those others but don't constantly look at them here's what we need to focus on if we will focus on pursuing sincerity if we will focus on making sure the fruit of the spirit is maturing in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy gentleness and self-control if we will pursue sincerity and read our word and pray if we will do those things There may be some hypocrites here, but I'm not gonna be one of them. I'm pursuing sincerity, I'm all in for Jesus. And then there's one less hypocrite. And I am the only person I can control. But there's gonna come a day of judgment when God, who is the judge of all and controls all, he will separate us out. Until then, our job and our goal is to make sure that when people come to the bridge, They find sincerity. They see people who love Jesus and they don't find a church full of hypocrites. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, God, as I am preaching this message today and preparing for it this week, you've been showing me things in my own life, places where I've been pretending, places where I have not been as genuine as you want me to be. God, I pray that you would help me correct those and I pray that each and every person under the sound of my voice would have a similar experience. That you would show us our hypocrisy. That you would show us. It's easy to see in everybody else. God, I pray that you would show us ours so that we could do through the power of the Holy Spirit the hard work of pursuing sincerity and being the type of believer you've called us to be. It won't be easy, but it'll be so worth it. God, I pray for sincerity for each and every one of us. Help us, Lord. An unbelieving world is watching and they're looking to see how we're gonna act and react in the good times and the bad. I pray all this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen.